So we've been in Mark's gospel, and uh, we today are going to finish chapter 2 and zoom right into chapter 3. So here we are, Mark 2, starting in verse 23. It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to, the, uh, to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So today we are in this section of Mark's Gospel where Jesus is facing opposition from the religious leaders. He's been criticized, first of all, for claiming to be able to forgive sins. Remember, the paralytic was, was lowered from the ceiling, and everybody thought he was going to heal him, but he said, your sins are forgiven. Well, not only were they disappointed, they said, who does he think he is? God? Only God can forgive sins, right? And then he heals the man, showing that he has authority not only to heal, but to forgive sins. Then he gets criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And then he gets criticized for not fasting as much as the Pharisees, who fasted twice a week. And today, he, he gets a flag for violating the Sabbath. At least they think he's violating the Sabbath. Now, that, the, the topic of the Sabbath, I have found, is kind of like a landmine because um, people have strong opinions about the Sabbath, what you can do, what you can't do, whether we're under the Sabbath regulations or not. So today, we're going to take a look at the Sabbath, and I'm going to cover these five points. The Sabbath police, the Sabbath exception, the Sabbath intent the Sabbath's Lord, and Sabbath anger, all right? So first, let's talk about um, the Pharisees who are the Sabbath police. They say, what are you doing violating the Sabbath? Now, let me make it clear. Jesus never sinned, and he was born under the old covenant. He never sinned, therefore he kept all the old covenant commandments. Therefore, he never violated the Sabbath. Some people think, oh, he, he broke the Sabbath because he was transitioning into the new covenant, um, and so he purposely violated the Sabbath. No, he never violated the Sabbath, but he often purposely broke 
the man-made legalistic additions to the Sabbath, but he never broke the Sabbath as it was originally intended. Okay? Now, the fourth commandment says you are to do no work on the Sabbath. In Moses' day, a man was found picking up sticks for a fire, and he was stoned. So, the Jewish people said, we better figure out what we can do and what we can't do on the Sabbath. What is considered work? What is not work? So, the rabbis came up with 39 chapters of categories with, with tons of subcategories regulating everything you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. So here are some of the things. You could not carry a heavy load. So the question is, what constituted a heavy load? So they said you could carry something on the back of your hand, not on the front, but on the back of your hand, okay, um, on your foot. So if you're moving eggs to the table, you'd be doing this, right? On your elbow and in your ear. So you could do this, right? But they, they didn't want to be carrying a heavy load. I, I think their regulations kind of weighed them down too. So, so that's the, the load limit rules. Then, uh, I think I've gone over this one before, tying a knot is work. So you couldn't tie a knot. But there was one exception. Your wife's girdle could be tied on the Sabbath because certain things are just necessary, right? So they came up with some workaround rules. You couldn't tie a rope to a bucket and lower it to get water in a well, but you could tie your wife's girdle to the bucket because that, that is a non-Sabbath violation. And then you tie the other end to a rope, and now you could lower the bucket to get water Sabbath violation free. Okay? If somebody broke their foot or arm... You could not set it on the Sabbath. So, hey, Grandma, just hang on there. Bite on this stick until sunset, right? Because if your bone's dislocated, you can't deal with it on the Sabbath. If a building fell down on the Sabbath, you could remove enough rubble to discover victims. If they were alive, you could rescue them. But if they were dead... You had to leave them until the next day. This is all worked out in the Sabbath laws. You could walk no more than 1,999 paces. Now, they didn't have Fitbit bits back then, right? So they're, they're, as they're walking, they're counting. 523, 524. How are you doing? Interrupt me. So they're counting everywhere they go. Okay, so these are, are the, the burdensome laws that they came up with. And the Pharisees were the Sabbath police. 
and they see Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field, munching on the heads of grain. Now, that it wasn't a violation to take grain. In fact, one of the, the Mosaic laws said to the farmers, you had to allow uh, people to take grain and eat it as they're going through the field. Uh, the issue was the munching of the grain on the Sabbath. All right? So they throw a flag on Jesus and his disciples for violating, for eating this way on the Sabbath. So Jesus says, well then, answer this question. He said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, back then it would have been the tabernacle, a tent, uh, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So this takes us back to 1 Samuel, where David is fleeing from crazed King Saul, who wants to kill him. He threw a spear at him several times. And while fleeing, David and his men are starving. There's no Chick-fil-A open that day, right? So he goes to the one place where he knows there's bread, the tabernacle, right? Part of the regulations for the tabernacle is uh, the priests were to lay out 12 loaves of bread in the holy place. And then they would switch it out the next Sabbath for 12 fresh loaves of bread. And only the priests could eat the leftover bread. Okay? David knows we're starving. No restaurants open, no stores open. I know there's bread at the tabernacle, right? And he talks the priest in this emergency situation into giving him the bread, okay? Now, Jesus is saying this. David sets a precedent that in cases of extreme need, you can violate the Sabbath. And it's not a violation, okay? Human need trumps keeping the letter of the law of the Sabbath. You, you, we have this same idea. If the speed limit is 35, but an ambulance is saving somebody's life, they can go 36, right? They can go 70. They can go through red lights. Sometimes they're cautious, but um, saving life, giving life, supersedes certain laws, okay? And you can just see the Pharisees scratching their head going, oh, yeah, we never thought of that, David. David seemed to violate this. So then, Jesus goes on to say this. This is the, the, taking them back to the intent of the Sabbath. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, 
not man for the Sabbath. Right? The Sabbath was a gift God gave to benefit and to serve man. Man was not made to be enslaved to the Sabbath. Okay, that's the principle. Now, this raises the modern-day question about the Sabbath. Are Christians under the requirement to keep the Sabbath? Now, I could say, I could say discuss among yourselves, and I sneak out the back, and um, you can fight it out. Right? But here's, here's the two main positions. Position number one is this. When God gave the Sabbath, it was for all time. And the two main arguments for that are, are one, this isn't just some obscure Levitical law. This is in the Big Ten. This is, this is in the Ten Commandments, right? And, you know, we keep all the other ones. Shouldn't we keep this one? That's argument number one. It's in the Ten Commandments. Argument number two When you read the commandment, it certainly seems to be basing the commandment not just on something that Israel should do, but it's based on creation. God created the world in seven days. So here's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days uh, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you should not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, even the the oxen get a day off, right? Or your uh, female servant or uh, your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Everybody takes that day off and it's set aside for the Lord. And then he says, here's the reason. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So not only is it in the top ten, the big ten, it seems to be based on creation order. God created the world specifically in a way that reflects his, his order. You're to take the seventh day off and rest because God even did the world that way. So that's the argument for keep the Sabbath. It's a creation ordinance, not just a Jewish law. Okay? Now, there are others who say, wait a minute, the Sabbath is one of those laws that was given to Israel And it was fulfilled in Jesus. What's the, uh, how how was it fulfilled? Well, on the Sabbath day, you're to do no work. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for your sins. You are saved by faith alone, not by works. Okay, so his cross is a fulfillment of, of the Sabbath, what the Sabbath pointed to, right? And then the side that says this is fulfilled says not only 
are we saying that Scripture itself seems to be abrogating the Sabbath? So if you look at Colossians 2, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. So, so what that's talking about is eating kosher. The Jewish people couldn't eat certain food. They couldn't eat, they couldn't eat shrimp or ham. Those are my two favorite things, right? Um, so he, he goes, you know, Christ has come. You, you can go ahead and eat all the shrimp you want. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Do you keep new moon celebrations? Do you keep the, 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 uh, the festival of booths where you sleep out in a booth for a week? No, that's all fulfilled in Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Now that Christ is here, all those things were, that were, were pictures pointing to him. But now that he is here, we're not under obligation to keep them all. And look, it names Sabbath as one of those things. Likewise, in Romans 14. Now, now Romans 14 is all about disputable matters. Things that Christians don't necessarily agree on, but they're not sins, okay? Schooling choices, clothing choices, entertainment choices are all disputable matters. And Paul seems to place the Sabbath in that category. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, that's got to be referring to the Sabbath, observes it in honor of the Lord. But not everybody does. Okay, And Paul's writing to the Roman church, which was half Jewish and half Gentile. And they were disputing over kosher laws and festivals. And he seems to place the Sabbath in the category of a disputable matter. So that would be the argument for those who say the, the Sabbath was given to Israel. If you want to keep it, that's not a problem. But don't foist it on everybody. Okay? Now, a third position, and this is, as, as I've talked to people about this, this is really where the majority of Christians have landed, whether they've even thought it through or not. But that, the position is this. The Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ, yet is beneficial for Christians today. Fulfilled, yet beneficial. Okay, and, and a lot of that comes from Jesus' words today. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If it was for man, if it was beneficial for man, back under the Mosaic Covenant, wouldn't it still be beneficial today to set aside a day to worship, to rest, 
to seek God, right? So that's where most people have landed. It's kind of where I'm at, right? Um, Now, somebody might say, wait a minute. How can a wasted day where you do no work, how can we survive in this culture? It's very unproductive to waste a whole day. Now, my question would be this. Is setting aside a day to worship and seek God really a waste? See, that that reveals a lot about our priorities if we consider that a waste of time, right? In fact, here's something that may freak you out. God gave Israel a calendar with 71 holidays, including Sabbaths, okay? Three of those holidays required you to travel from wherever you were in Israel to Jerusalem. So if you're way up north, that's like a three-day travel. A week there, three days back. So a full 20% of their calendar, they were to put everything on hold and worship the Lord. And God knew that they would go, "How, how can we survive? He says, three times in the year, Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord, uh, the Lord God, the God of Israel. But, but what, what, if we do that, what if people come and steal our crops? No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. In other words, to obey this required trust. God would supernaturally provide for them. Okay? So, exercising the Sabbath, kind of like giving generously, involves trust. It's a real test of our trust, whether God will provide. Okay? Let me read this. One man challenged another to an all-day wood-chopping contest. The challenger worked very hard, stopping only for a brief brief lunch break. The other man had a leisurely lunch and took several breaks during the day. At the end of the day, the challenger was surprised and annoyed to find that the other fellow had chopped substantially more wood than he had. I don't get it, he said. Every time I checked, you were taking a rest, yet you chopped more wood. But you didn't notice, said the winning woodsman, that I was sharpening my axe when I sat down to rest. All right, so there's the Sabbath controversy. Let's, uh, let's look at one more thing, actually two more things. Jesus clarifies who is Lord of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So this is another one of those statements that if you quickly read it, it can just go by quickly. But when you really slow down and analyze it, he's making another outrageous claim. 
He's saying, I have the authority to tell you what the true purpose of the Sabbath is, and I have the authority to cut out all your legalisms and restore it to its intended purpose. Who is the only one who has that kind of authority to zero in on the real purpose of a law? Wouldn't that be God? That's like him saying when they said, well, who has authority to forgive men's sins? That's only something God can do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so this statement is really him saying, I'm God. I regulate the Sabbath. All right. Now, last thing. Sabbath anger. We're going to take a, a quick look at one more Sabbath violation where Jesus gets angry at the, the, the religious leaders um, and then they get so angry at him that they want to kill him. So we, we turn the page from chapter 2 to chapter 3. It says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. This is a setup. Maybe they even brought the man with the withered hand. They heard that this Jesus goes around healing people, and he even does it on the Sabbath. That is clearly a violation. Let's get the guy with the withered hand. We'll bring him to the synagogue and dare Jesus to heal him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? In other words, he's saying, hey, let's set aside your 39 chapters of Sabbath legalisms and let's just have two categories. Good life-giving activity and bad life-taking activity. Like you denying this man healing and you wanting to take my life. He knows what they're going to do. And they go silent, which is pretty clarifying. And he looked around at them with... Anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. So two emotions. He's grieved that they don't get it, that they're so caught up in the rules and angry at them. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was Restored. Stretch out your hand, and as he stretches it out, his hand is restored. And did the Pharisees go, yes! No. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let's kill Jesus for healing that man's hand. You know, there's only a handful of times we see Jesus angry. In the temple, when they turned the, uh, the holy temple into a, a marketplace and uh, 
you know, they double charge for money changing. He gets angry then. Matthew 23, where he blasts the Pharisees again for their petty legalism. And here, I mean, imagine rather than rejoicing with this crippled man who can now, you know, he can now pick up his grandbabies, right? He can take up a trade. His life has been restored, and all they could think of is, we caught Jesus. You broke the rule. Now we have the ammunition to destroy you. Legalism is blind. And I think Mark wants us to root it out of our lives. So let me, let me close with this. How do you know, like I mentioned last week, I know one, one pastor who said, I've never met a legalist who thought he was a legalist. It's pretty blinding. So how do you know if we have caught this legalism disease? Okay, um, You might be a legalist if, one, you have no joy. You're a joyless person. Why are legalists joyless? A list is not the same thing as a relationship. People who know the Lord have the joy of the Lord. People who just have a tedious list, of course there's no joy. Second, you might be a legalist if... You have no friends, right? Why would that be true? Because if you think you earn God's acceptance by your works, which is impossible, you have to convince yourself that you're doing well and others are not doing as well as you're doing and they become your competitors, you may smile at them at church, but they're really the enemy. Therefore, legalists have no friends, only competitors. Okay, Here's one. You wish so-and-so was here to hear that sermon. <laughs> now, that's okay to say, yeah, I wish so-and-so heard that sermon. But if that's all you ever say, what that tells me is, you're convincing yourself that you didn't need to hear it because you're keeping the externals. But it's always applying the rules to others. And then finally, you might be a legalist. If you value compliance to rules over compassion for people. Now, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying there are no rules. There are. God has revealed his, his laws very clearly. But the legalist is more concerned with the letter of the than truly caring about people. Um, we, know, we have a friend who, this family's incredible. They have either adopted or fostered special needs kids. And they have a house full of autistic kids, okay? And um, whenever Elizabeth calls, 
Um, she says, are you in crisis mode? Because <laughs> the police are always coming. And, you know, and a couple weeks ago, one of the boys set fire to the kitchen. And um, I don't know if it was an accident or not, but the fire truck came and the curtains were going. And one of the other boys, who has a job, continued to sit there and he ate his bowl of cereal. And then he packed his lunch and he went off to work. And the dad said, because the dad was elsewhere, the dad said to him, why didn't you tell me the kitchen was on fire? And he goes, because the routine is I eat my cereal, I pack my lunch, and I go to work. Right? I was just going by the rules. Right? Now, he has autism, so he can be forgiven. But that's a picture of a legalist. I do the rules. I live by the rules. I don't want to violate the rules. And whether the house burns down or hurts other people doesn't matter because it's all about the rules. Praise God that Jesus comes and puts this in perspective. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we all have tendencies toward legalism. And Lord, I pray that you would show it to us and root it out, replace it with grace. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord of the Sabbath. I pray that you would guide each one of us to know what to do in our own lives and our own families with that schedule, with that Sabbath. And ultimately, Lord, may we trust you that you will provide, that you will take care of us. So now, Lord, as we move into a time of celebrating baptism. We ask for your presence, and uh, we just pray for Emma uh, as she takes this, this uh, great step of trust in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.